If you have a Bible, James chapter one is where we're gonna be this morning, James chapter one. If you're using one of our Bibles, that's page 847. And if you've been with us this summer, we've been in this series through the book of Ephesians. We spent 18 weeks in the book of Ephesians, wrapped that up last week. We're gonna start a new series together in two weeks, but kind of between now and then, we're gonna spend just a little bit of time looking at some specific passages, passages of scripture that I think will speak into our community for this season. And so uh, this, this week I had a sermon that I had written uh, that I was get, planning to preach today. I was real pumped about it. I think it's pretty good. I think you would have loved it. Um, but uh, on Thursday, just kind of through a variety of conversations and things that uh, happened within our church through a time of prayer, I thought, man, we need to go a different direction. And so uh, on Thursday, I got together with some of my friends. We just prayed, God, what do you have for us in this season? And he, he kept leading me to James chapter one. And so uh, this morning, uh, I just want to kind of speak out of this. I think uh, it's going to hit us in two different ways. And I just kind of want to put this out there on the front end. Um, there are some of you this morning, and you're, as soon as we get into this text, you're going to go, man, the reason God changed the sermon was for me. I mean, I literally had 15 or 20 people come up afterwards and go, man, that's my season of life. Uh, and some of you are going to feel that. Um, some of you, as we go through this, you're going to go, man, I don't know if that applies to me at all um, right now. And here's what I want to say to you, those of you especially that don't feel like this applies. If it doesn't apply now, I promise you it will. If you keep walking with Jesus, this is going to be unbelievably relevant in your life. And so I want to encourage you as we're going through the text this morning, as we're looking at what James has to say to us, if it doesn't feel like it immediately speaks to your heart, start asking the Holy Spirit to deposit in you that which he wants to bring to bear later on. Because I promise you there's going to be a season when you're going to need this. And it's not because of what I'm going to say. It's just because of what the Word of God is going to give us through the power of the Spirit. Does that make sense? And so I believe that this is going to be so relevant for you now, maybe relevant for you later, but I want to encourage you to open your ears to what it is that God has for us. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump in uh, to a time of the Word together and communion and praying and worshiping. So uh, let me pray for us. God, thank you for the gift of community. Thank you so much for these. I, I know so many of these people. I love them so much, God. Thank you for their stories. Thank you for the fact that you've brought them here. God, for the ones I don't know, thank you for them. Lord, wherever we are on the journey, would you just fill us with the gift of faith today? Would you just give us confidence in you? Would you raise our awareness of who you are and what it is that you're doing in our midst? Holy Spirit, would you anchor deep within our hearts this morning? And would you bear fruit however it is that you want to do that? God, for those in the room that don't yet even know you, God, would you just open their eyes to how much you love them? And, and, and how uh, deeply you've been in pursuit of them uh, since the moment they were born. Thank you for bringing them here among us. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray and give thanks. Together we say, amen. James chapter one, page 847. You guys doing good this morning, everybody? Everybody doing good? Um, great to be with you. Um, I want you to think with me for just a second, kind of back on your life. And I think you'll find this to be true. You know, this, this statement was kind of hitting me on Thursday morning as I was praying through James chapter 1. Have you, ever, have you ever noticed how deeply connected the ideas of truth and testing are? The ideas of truth and testing. Here's what I mean by it. Have you ever noticed that you have this tendency to only trust that which has been tested? And so I, I remember experiencing this five years ago when our second son Jack was born. Uh, almost five years ago, uh, you know, to the month. I mean, he was born, his, his, his birth was seamless, everything went great. He spent two days in the hospital just like we were supposed to. 
And then uh, on the second day, we come home and, and we spend two days at home. Everything's normal. He's healthy, happy, happy little kid. And then in the middle of our second night at home, in the middle of the night, he starts making this weird noise. Now, we knew that the noise was weird for two reasons. One, we had another kid, and so we kind of had recognized what are some of the normal noises that kids this size make, you know, and what are the non-normal noises. That's part of the reason. We had a little bit of experience, but the real reason was my wife, her background is in medicine. She has a, she has a doctorate degree in it. She, she taught, it, uh, taught pre-nursing students anatomy and physiology at the collegiate level. That's her background. And so she hears this noise, and, you know, I didn't recognize how weird it was, just to be honest. You know, she immediately went, hey, something's up here. And so we, we got up, and we started trying to figure out what's going on with Jack. And so um, we, we take his temperature, take his temperature, and it's a few degrees too low. And I don't know anything about the human body. I'm an idiot when it comes to these things. So I thought, oh, cool, he's got degrees to spare. I mean, he's, <laughs> he's, he's good. And, and immediately her alarm bells went off because she knows, like, for a kid that size, to have a temperature that's too low is more serious than a temperature too high. And she's like, oh, this is a big deal. So I go and get another thermometer, and we try it again, and low temperature. And so we call our doctor, and, and we're hoping he's going to say that thing, hey, it's nothing. Don't worry about it. But he does the exact opposite. Some of you have been in these moments. You call him and he says, hey, put on your clothes. We'll meet you at the hospital as quickly as you can get there. And so well, next thing we know, we're driving, tears in our eyes, like what's going on with our little kid, driving down to Vanderbilt. Uh, children's were there in the ER. And uh, all of a sudden, uh, within an hour of making that phone call, Jack is there and he is like so non-responsive. It's just terrifying moment. Some of you remember this uh, moment when our family went through this. And so they start running all of these tests, and we're there in the ICU for four days with Jack, and the story ends well by the grace of God. I mean, uh, God uh, turned his story around. He starts kindergarten this week, which we're pumped about, you know, and, and, and so it ends well, but there was this season, this little stretch where we were terrified, going, well, how's it going to turn out? And I remember the first night we're, we're there in the ICU, and, and we don't know how this is going to play out, and our nurse for the evening walks in. She's our nurse for the night shift. And as soon as she comes in the room, I recognize her. I thought, that's one of Sydney's former students. She used to teach anatomy and physiology to pre-nursing students. This student walks in, and now she feels awkward because she's getting ready to take care of her professor's child that may be dying. She doesn't know what to do. And she's like, this is your ultimate grade, you know. And she's there in, in the room, and she's trying to tell us, you know, uh, what she's going to be doing. And as soon as she leaves, I look at Sydney, and I'm like, okay, was she a good student? Like, like. <laughs> Like, I don't care if she has a job. I don't care if she has the outfit. Like, I need to know, did she do well on the test? Like, is, I'm going to make a fool of myself if she was a bad student. I'm going to go get a new nurse in here. And, and I'll never forget, Sydney looked at me. She said, Dave, she is one of the best students I've ever had. Like, like she, she, she knew her stuff. She did so well in her clinic. Clinical, she goes, I can't imagine having a better person like helping Jack in this season. And it was one of those moments where we began to discover firsthand that we tend to trust that which has been what? Tested, right? You only trust that which has been tested. If you're sitting on a plane getting ready to take off and the pilot comes on and he says, hey, welcome to Southwest. The reason you save so much money is because I've never flown a plane and we're going to try this together for the first time. You don't trust the guy if he hasn't been what? Tested. If you show up at the Apple store to buy the new phone without a plan for $9,000 and they tell you, we've never tested this technology you don't what? You don't trust it. We, we trust that which has been, come on, we trust that which has been tested. And it's true in faith, isn't it? That there's something intrinsically in us, whether or not we've come to, to recognize this, that in moments of crisis, 
We don't want people just with theological knowledge up here. We want people with theological faith that's been worked out here, right? And that we tend to only trust those who have been tested. And the reality is all of us want those kinds of friends, but none of us want to go through the testing ourselves. And here's the reality. There are things in the life that we have with God, in this journey with God, that only come into their full maturity that only move from concept to reality in the place of spiritual testing. And the truth is, if you want to be used by God and if you want to be useful to those around you, you have to be tested. And the truth is, the test is never fun. But it's the thing that all of us are invited into. And the reason I felt led to kind of teach on this this week, you know, the last few weeks we've talked about spiritual warfare together. And all of these questions have come out. Okay, like, how do I know if this moment of, is this a test from God? Is this a temptation from the enemy? And like, like what do I do in the midst of this? And how do I recognize it? And I love it because James, the half-brother of Jesus, he speaks into it with so much wisdom and spirit-filled authority. I want us to just sit at his feet this morning and listen to what he says. I don't know if you know much about the story of James, uh, about his background, but James is a half-brother of Jesus. Can you imagine being Jesus' half-brother? They had, the, they had the same mom. They had different dads, you know. Uh, James's dad was of earthly descent. Jesus's was not. And he has this big brother uh, named Jesus. And I can't imagine what it would have been like to have been in middle school and have a big brother as uh, Jesus. You know, you know, he never picked on James. But that would have been a lot to have lived up to, right? You know, just to grow up in his house. And James's life was lived in close proximity to Jesus, but his life was marked by spiritual testing. In fact, the way that his life ended was like the ultimate test. You need to go back and just read up on James. And there's all of these amazing historical accounts of the way that his life was forged in the place of testing. But it wasn't just that he was tested himself, it's that he led a church that went through an unbelievable season of testing. James had the joy of pastoring the first church ever planted in the city of Jerusalem. It was started by the apostle Peter. James got to lead that church for nearly 20 years and he led it through seasons of famine and persecution and hardship. And there's this moment in Acts chapter seven and eight where their church is scattered. And this letter that we're reading this morning is James, this man whose faith had been tested and it had been found genuine. He writes this letter to these people who all of a sudden are experiencing all of this external pressure that is challenging their internal convictions. And that's all that testing is. It's these moments when external circumstances begin to challenge these, eter these internal convictions that we thought were there in the Lord. And James is going to say, hey, I want you to see how these two things are connected. This is how you begin to walk out the test. This is how you begin to stand in the midst of temptation. And this is how you find yourself standing with God in the midst of it all. James chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 2 together. I want you to look at this. Open up your Bibles if you have them with you. It says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work in you so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything. Jump down to verse 12. He says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under the trial because having stood the test, the person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those that love him. So when tempted, listen to this, no one should say God is tempting me for God cannot be tempted by evil nor does God tempt anyone. But each person is tempted 
When they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed, then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. This is the word of God being spoken through the half-brother of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit for his church and ours. Because he knows that that which has not been tested cannot be trusted. And if you want to be used by God, church, you're going to have to walk through the test. And I love the way that he speaks about this. It's so practical. He's going to talk about tests in kind of two realms. And so if you take notes, I want you to notice this. He's going to say, hey, I want to speak to you about the reality of spiritual testing. And then we're going to deal with the reward that comes when you endure and you walk through that testing. Okay. And so let's start with this idea of the reality of spiritual testing. And he gives us several pictures. The first one I want you to see, you jump back to verse two. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. This is what he says. He says, in the reality of spiritual testing, this is the first thing you need to notice, is that it's not if you will be tested, it's when you will be tested. That he doesn't just say, hey, a few of you get tested spiritually. Those of you that are leaders get tested spiritually. Those of you that want to do great things for God get tested spiritually. He says, no, if you have air in your lungs, if you're serious about being formed in the image of Christ himself. He says, it's not if, it's it's when. And let's just say this for what it is. That's not like a very encouraging statement, right? Like none of us put this on a mug or a t-shirt or on a calendar in your cubicle. Like none of us like this idea of being tested. In fact, our least favorite day in school was what? Test day. Like, Like you hate it. And James says, good news, church. If you want to be like Jesus, you have to be what? Tested. You have to be tested. I remember thinking about this kind of in the context of my own life, just going, okay, God, would you just mature me, but mature me outside of the realm of testing? <laughs> like, can't you just like download spiritual wisdom? Can't you just, and the Lord said, no, you've got to follow the journey that I've been on. So Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 33, he says, in this world, you will have what? Trouble. You're going to have it. You're going to have trials. you have troubles. You're going to be tested, but take heart because I've overcome the world. I've overcome the world. And James is just tapping into what his brother Jesus said. Is hey, here's the deal. If you want to be like Jesus, you will be tested. And James isn't saying this to to make you scared. He's saying this to help us prepare. You know, every year when my boys go back to school, within the first couple of weeks, they'll have a series of safety drills to help them prepare for the disasters that could come, right? And so they'll have, you know, they'll have a fire uh, drill, they'll have a tornado drill, they'll have that drill in case a crazy person comes in with a gun to shoot the place up. And, And what happens every time the school tries to prepare our kids for the inevitable? Do they come back more confident, like in their ability to defeat a tornado? No, our first grader comes home and they're like, Dad, there is wind that can suck us into the air. I'm like, yeah, like that can happen. They're like, they're like, what? And laying in a ball will stop that from happening? And I'm like, no, but, but that's what they tell you to do. So you'll meet your demise with your face looking at the floor, I guess. I don't know. Preparing doesn't always secure us, does it? Sometimes, in fact, it frightens us. But James isn't saying this to make you scared. He wants you to be prepared. He says, listen, here's the reality. If you want to be like Jesus, you're going to be tested whenever you face trials. But the second aspect of this reality, it's not just that you'll face testings, it's that these testings come in a variety of shape, forms, and fashions. Look at this, he says, whenever you face trials of many what? Of many kinds, of many kinds. 
He says there'll be moments where you have these like deep convictions about who God is and then all of a sudden your external circumstances begin to push against it and all of a sudden you struggle. He says you're gonna have moments where you lose parents and you lose friends and you lose children. There's gonna be moments where you're sitting there and the doctor comes in and he says the cancer is back and there's nothing we can do. Or when the boss walks in and says, hey, the, the, the job is done, pack up your things. Or when you come home and you find out that she's left you. Whatever it is, there's these moments that all of us experience, these trials, these external pressure points that become a place of testing where we get to discover whether or not what we think about God is actually as deep down as we think it is. Does that make sense? He says in testing, he says it's not just that it's inevitable, it's, it comes of many kinds. Sometimes it's trials. Sometimes it comes in seasons of transition. Do you remember Jesus' story? Uh, Jesus spent the first 30 years of his life kind of privately in the context of his family and his friend group. And then when he's 30 years old, he gets baptized. He's filled with the Spirit. God speaks from heaven. This is my beloved son whom I loved. With him I'm well pleased. And all of a sudden, Jesus finds himself in this transition from private life to public ministry. And what is there to meet him in that transition? The enemy, the tempter, this season of transition becomes a season of testing. Have you ever noticed so often when you switch jobs or you, or you switch states or you move neighborhoods or you go from singleness to being in a relationship or you go from being in a relationship to being single, whatever it is, it's in these seasons of transition so often those external moments become what? The testing ground for internal faith. He says you're going to face testing of many kinds, sometimes trials, sometimes in transition, sometimes even in triumph. Remember the story of the Israelites? I mean, God had been walking with them on this journey. He brings them into this place of victory. They come into the promised land and God says, hey, be careful because this place of triumph is gonna become a place of testing for you. You think you love me, but once you have everything you need, it's gonna be tested. Remember experiencing this with one of my good friends over the last year. They, came into, they, they grew up poor and they came into more money than they could imagine. And all of a sudden, all of the things that they thought were true about what they would be like if they came into money are being tested. And this is the way that life works, right? And James says, you will be tested. Number two, you'll be tested in a variety of ways. And number three, you won't always know which direction the test is coming from. This is what you see in verse 12 through 15. He's talking about testing, and then all of a sudden James says, hey, in the midst of your testing, Watch out for your temptations because James knew that whenever temptation or whenever testing is here, temptation is near. And it's so often testing and temptation feel like twin sisters. They're so close and yet they're fundamentally different. There's something about them that's sometimes tough to discern. Have you ever been in one of those moments where you're going through a trial and you're like, I don't know if this is from God or from the enemy. Raise your hand if you've ever been there before. You're like, I don't even know what direction this comes from. And James says, you won't always know the source, but you do know the goal, and the goal is to stand. You know, if this is from the enemy, what he's trying to do is to rob you of your identity in Jesus. If this is from God, he's trying to solidify who you are in Jesus. But sometimes in the moment, you won't know. And your job is just to keep standing, to keep standing, to, to keep walking with the Lord, even when you feel like you can't walk any further, Right? And it's this beautiful, beautiful moment where James is saying, hey, here's, here's the reality of being spiritually tested. If you want to be like Jesus, you have to be tested. And it's not just going to be a one-time exam. It's going to be over and over and over. 
You will be tested. They'll come in different ways and in different shapes and in different forms. And he says, and when you don't know where they come from, you know what it is that God's after. You know what it is that God's up to, and it's that you would stand with him. And so he starts by, by talking about this reality of testing. But I love it. He doesn't stop there. He moves from the reality of testing into the reward that comes when you and I stand with the Lord in these seasons of testing. And this is the part that I get so excited about because James says, listen, I don't want you to experience counterfeit Christianity. He says, I want you to experience the full reward of being with Christ in this life. And that actually comes in these seasons of testing. Look back at verse two with me. He starts talking about the reward. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Now let perseverance finish its work in you so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Now I want you to notice what James does not say here, okay? James doesn't say, hey, be happy that you're being tested. You know, in our American context, we make the word joy and happy synonymous, right? But in the biblical context, those two words are not always connected. James does not say, consider it pure happiness when you face hardship. No, 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 no. Sounds like a drunk man, right? He says, he says no, he says, consider your joy to be purified when you walk through seasons of testing. Now, let's unpack this for a minute because it's so important. See, Paul tells us in Galatians chapter five that when you come to Jesus, when you place your faith in Jesus, the spirit of God begins to take up residence in your heart and all of a sudden your life begins to give, uh, begins to produce the fruit of Jesus's character in you and through you. So all of a sudden, things like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness begin to swell up in your life because the spirit of God is bearing fruit. It's called spiritual fruit. And here James is gonna kind of tap into that idea just a little bit. He says, hey, listen, the Spirit of God is at work in you, but what the Spirit of God is doing in you never comes to maturity in seasons of peace. What the Spirit of God is doing in you starts maturing and coming to its fullness in seasons of testing. And he says, so consider it to be purified joy when you go into seasons of testing. I remember, uh, to, to kind of illustrate that, when I was in middle school, uh, the thing that I cared about every year was what new pair of shoes was I gonna get when I went to middle school? Raise your hand if you were like that. Um, just a few, is that it? Is it just like four of us that were vain or the rest of you are just more spiritual? Raise your hand really if you cared about what kind of shoe, okay, it felt forced. Um, I remember that. I'm like, oh man, I want to have like the coolest shoes, but I never got to have the coolest shoes. I always had to go to Payless and get the Payless version of the cool shoes. How many of you went to Payless? Raise your hand if you're not embarrassed about Payless. Okay. So I remember going to Payless and I wanted the Reebok pumps, but instead I got the Voight pumps, you know, the, I got, I got the knockoff version. And then I always remember the day before school started, I'd be sitting there thinking about how am I going to convince my friends that I wanted the counterfeit version? That, that, that I didn't get these because we're poor, but I got these because I chose them, you know? And, and they never believed it. Because everyone look at it and go, that's, that's the counterfeit. Like, you didn't really want the counterfeit, but you have the counterfeit. And I believe that this is where a lot of us as American Christians settle. We settle for the counterfeit fruit of the Spirit because we're not willing to go through that which it takes to receive the real thing. You know, when you come into the kingdom of God, a lot of us don't realize that what we have is not heavenly love being manifest in our lives, but just worldly love with a new name on it. That we're walking in worldly joy and worldly peace and worldly self-control. And the spirit of God comes in and says, no, I want to give you more than the counterfeit version of what heaven has to offer. I want you to hear me very clearly because this is nuanced. 
Jesus does not want you to have love. Jesus does not want you to have peace. Jesus does not want you to have joy. Jesus wants you to have heavenly love and heavenly joy and heavenly peace. And those things are fundamentally different. And the way you get to those is in seasons of what? Testing. Because you cannot trust that which has not been tested. He says the reward of this testing is that worldly joy is sifted out and what remains is the joy of Jesus who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorned its shame. Why? Because he didn't have earthly joy tethered to circumstances. And he says, the joy that's in me, I want to be in you, but you don't get it without what? Testing, testing. He says, consider it to be purified joy. That God is trying to do something in us, church, so that the end game would be not a church, uh, not, not a level of faith that just remains there in our minds but works down into our lives. Look at verse three, that grows up in maturity and completeness. That God has this desire to take the things that you think are true about God and to bring them all the way to their point of breaking so that you can really discover just how true those things really are. So that the fruit that comes out of that is a life that is anchored in the reality of God. Years ago, a friend of ours lost their child, and I heard this guy preach for years, such a just passionate preacher. He'd always talk about the goodness of God, but I remember at the funeral, within the first few sentences, he just said, church, I'm here today to talk to you about the goodness of God. And in front of him in a casket was his little girl. And I went, man, there was a level, there was a level of truth that was being born in that moment because we saw a guy whose understanding that God was good had been what? Tested all the way to the brink. And he'd come out on the other side and all of a sudden we went, wow. Wow, God, what are you, what are you doing? And the truth is we won't always know, you know, this reality that we will be tested. We won't always know where it's going to come from. But we know the reward that God is after and the reward that God is after is that you in the inner recesses of your heart would come to actually believe all of the things you think you believe. (laughs) And the way that you come to those places is in seasons of what? Of testing, of testing. You cannot trust that which has not been tested. And if we want to walk in the trustworthiness of Jesus, all of us must be tested. Now, this could be terrifying, you know, because none of us like testing. And we could walk out of here going, oh, my goodness, like, I'm not being tested now, but when's the test going to come? What, what am I going to do? And that's not what James is saying here. James is pointing us to the reality, and he's showing us the reward. So we will cling to the one that gets us through the test in the first place. Remember when I was in high school, I had this one teacher. He was a terrible teacher, but we all loved him. The only reason he was hired on at the school is because he was an amazing coach. And uh, our district really wanted him to keep coaching. And so he was not good at teaching us U.S. history. But I remember uh, we'd get in his class and he'd just show us movies and we'd talk and we'd read the paper and we'd hang out. And then he would do these things called pop tests, which are exactly what they sound like. We'd come and he'd say, all right, guys, it's time for a test. We're like, you haven't taught us anything. And There'd be this terror that would just like seize our, you know, hearts. Like, we're going to fail and what's going to happen? I remember the first time I was ever in his room for a pop test. He said, this is the way it's going to work. He said, I know I haven't taught you anything. You know I haven't taught you anything, but I've got to test you to keep my job. 
And so he passed out these tests, and we're like, what are we going to do? And he says, here's the way that it's going to work. He says, um, I-, I just invite you to cheat. And we're like, wait, is this the test? Are we being filmed right now? He's like, open up your books, talk to one another. If you have any questions on the test, you don't know, just come ask me, and I'll tell you the answer. And I thought, okay, I'm not going to learn anything, but this is awesome. Like, this is, this, this is great. And and it was this unusual way of testing, and yet in some ways, it's what you see in the gospel. You know, James doesn't say, hey, you're going to be tested, so get away and figure out all the possible answers and fortify yourself. No, it's like, hey, you're going to be tested, cling to Jesus. You're going to be tested, cling to Jesus. You know, Hebrews 4.15, uh, he is our high priest that has been tempted and tested in every way in every way, and yet he didn't cave. And so in the season of testing, before the season of testing, we start building intimacy with the one that's passed every test. And it's not just that we, we build intimacy with Jesus. It's that we build, begin building intimacy with the people of Jesus. Because the reality is you don't need community. You don't need community. You don't need friends. What you need is a spirit-filled community and spirit-filled friends, and there's a big difference. You need friends that know the voice of Jesus, that trust the heart of Jesus, that have walked in intimacy with Jesus. And the truth is, if you wait to start building those kinds of friendships in the moment of testing, they won't be there for you. You start now, pursuing intimacy with Christ, pursuing intimacy in spirit-filled community, and you go, hey, Jesus, would you help us stand whenever the test comes so that the fullness of yourself would be developed in us in those moments? Does that make sense? See, I believe God wants to do something in us and through us. I believe God has amazing dreams and desires for you. Ephesians 2.10, that you're God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, that he's prepared great things in advance for you to do. What the Bible says, I believe this, that what no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has perceived what God has in store for those that love him. I believe that it's true. And I believe that the calling that God has for your life is a calling that your flesh can't handle until it's tested. But the other side of that coin is that just like God has put you on a collision course with your spiritual destiny, the enemy is looking to usurp that at every turn. And just as God is trying to drive your identity down, the enemy is trying to free it up. And we have to decide, man, will we live into what God has called us to do? And so this morning, we're gonna end but by, by, by really just leaning into intimacy with the Lord and intimacy with one another, we're going to practice this together. Because I know that there are some of you that are in the midst of such unbelievable tests right now. But you're being tested. You know you're being tested. At, at the 9 o'clock, I just, we weren't planning to do this. And I, I asked who was going through tests. We had a ton of people stand up. And then I asked the rest of the church, hey, let's pray over the people that are standing up. And God, would you lead us to the people that we need to come pray over? We just had hundreds of people being prayed over and praying. And it was so crazy. After the 9 o'clock, people kept coming up to me saying, hey, I walked up there. And this lady that I didn't know, she came up. And it was like she was reading my mail. She was just praying over me. God was ministering to me. Uh, He's strengthening me. He's encouraging me. And, and that's what we're going to practice this morning. And so it's going to take a little bit of vulnerability, a little bit of in- intimacy 
But I'm telling you, if you want to experience the fullness of God, this is, this is how we have to figure out how to live as a church family. So I'm going to start with those of you that feel like you're in a season of spiritual testing. Would you just stand up if you feel like you're being tested right now in some area of your life? Just stand and stay standing. And praise God for, praise God for the courage to stand. But stand up if you feel like you're being tested. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do for those of you that are standing. I'm going to ask you to go ahead and come up front and over here to my left, there's this kind of big brick wall. You come over and just kind of line up against that wall. And I, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're not going to do anything weird, but it will bless you. So if you're, if you're standing, come walk up front over to the left. Come stand up against this wall. We'll have some people over here that will talk to you. Hey, can we just show some love and support to these people that are courageous enough to stand up? Yeah. So here's what I want to ask us to do for the rest of, the, for the rest of our time together, uh, for the rest of us. You know, at, at Ethos, it's not like we have, you know, professional pastors and then the rest of us. It's like, no, we're a priesthood of all believers. That We believe that those of you that are Christians, you have the Spirit of God inside of you and that, that God would love to use you this morning to minister to somebody up here. And so that's what we're going to do. Uh, you can look up here. We're going to need 80, 90, 100 or so people to come pray at least. It's gonna be, we need a lot of us to come pray. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Would you just close your eyes right now and um, ask God, just take a couple of moments in silence. We're just going to ask God, hey God, would you show us who we need to minister to? Show us who we need to minister to. Um, if you're up front, I'm going to ask you guys to keep, kind of keep spreading around that wall. I know there's people everywhere back here. I want to make sure every one of you gets prayed over, okay? So let's just take a couple of moments. Warren's going to play some music over us. Just ask God how he can use you to minister in this time. Father, I thank you so much for your faithfulness among us this morning. I thank you for the way that you're at work in the lives of these people, those that are seated and those that are standing. God, thank you for the way that you love us. Thank you for the way that you're ministering. And um, God, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would divinely connect those that are seated this morning with those that are standing. That you would divinely connect us. That you'd give us words and scriptures and thoughts. That, God, you'd help us to serve each other this morning in prayer. And that you'd use us however you want to use us. Uh, God, would you uh, keep the enemy far away? And would you use this time of prayer to strengthen us as we find ourselves in the place of testing? It's in the name of Jesus that I pray and give thanks. Amen.